0: How do I charge a car? Can I
1: charge it in the rain? How
0: far can I drive? Electric car? What's a power grid? Is V2G possible? What is V2G? Do I get free parking for my EV? Welcome to part two of two of our series, What's Next for Clean Tech in Europe, designed to coincide with the beginning of the new European Commission. Today, we'll look at electric cars, battery making, and all the rest of it on a pan-European scale with none other than the architect of the energy union itself, European Commissioner, Vice President Maros Shevchevich, who tells us (laughs) that… Wait, what? I can't believe I almost shared everything he was going to say. You'll need to listen to find out. We do most of our recording at a studio in Bratislava, Slovakia, but for this news segment, we're going to be going to our offices where the real work of the mobility infrastructure is done, and we're going to catch up on some of the latest news from the office.
1: <laughs>
0: now we're going to go find Peter for the latest insight on what's happening in Slovakia. Hey there. Hi. Hi you got a minute? Yes. Oh, even you know, more, hopefully. Perfect. All right. So, Peter, Slovakia
2: just recently introduced another EV subsidy. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It's already the second round, and it's quite interesting, and I believe it will definitely help boost the sales of electric vehicles in our country. Actually, you can get 8,000 euro subsidy for electric vehicle. It doesn't matter if you're a person or a company? Doesn't matter. It's regardless if you're a company, municipality, or for personal use. It is nevertheless up to the purchase price of the electric vehicle fifty thousand euros. So if the vehicle is above the fifty thousand euros, it's not eligible for the subsidy. So government try to support the
0: quite normal people buying quite them.
2: normal people exactly and from the lower category, not the good, luxury car. It will definitely help to boost the sales in this category, which is obviously the category where the most of the vehicles are sold. So it's definitely good. It already catch quite a lot of attraction in media, and uh, people are buying. Even I personally already ordered new Skoda Go. Yeah, so it's working. It's working. Yeah, even you, <laughs> it, it convinced me. Super. It, so with the subsidy uh, is uh, really a good deal, and which is very important as well. The car itself is well priced even without the subsidy. So I think uh, we are really coming to the era of the available electric vehicles, we will have electric vehicles in all categories, not only in luxury cars, not only in very super small cars. Mm. So we'll have something for everybody. And uh, I believe this uh, first subsidy will help to for a significant wave and I have uh, information from dealership of Škoda that they already reserve more than 130 vehicles wow. just in Slovakia just in Slovakia which is uh, if you compare it to the total number of electric vehicles which we have in a country which is 1000 so like, yeah, it's, like it's, uh, it's basically 13% of the current fleet yeah. which is great and it's only one model uh, out of 42 which will be available next year. So I'm really excited and I believe that we will be easily doubling the number of electric vehicles in the world of our country.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Obviously, we're looking forward to that. What else is in the subsidy? So you said 8,000 euros for off the price of a vehicle up to 50,000 euros. What else? Are there other areas that are being incentivized?
2: That is for the vehicle. There are some limitations for the leasing companies because you can have up to uh, eight vehicles. I think it's not completely clear what will be the administrative procedure, but uh, it will promise that it will be easy. Mm. Any so support
0: it, for infrastructure?
2: In terms of infrastructure, there is already in place the subsidy for municipalities. There was a first round of subsidy scheme where uh, municipalities had a chance to apply for subsidy for one charging point. As we learned, it was relatively successful. There are some money remaining in the budget so they will do a second round uh, very soon. But the overall budget of this subsidy is not very big, it's only 1 million euros, so it's really only a first start. Mm But as I learned they are uh, preparing something for next year. It is great
0: when you see you know countries really kind of investing, putting their money where their mouth is or even ahead of where their mouth is and really
2: investing in e-mobility.
0: Sure. And our neighbor to the north Poland also has a new subsidy, right? Or coming soon.
2: Yes, sure. We have a small well good news from the Poland, where they are going to use the same scheme or very similar scheme about 8000 euro per uh, vehicle first for private users, secondly for the companies. It will be available for cars which are going to cost below 40,000 euro, roughly, we expect that this will, in the same way as in Slovakia, boost the sales of electric vehicle in Poland. Mm,
0: that'd be fantastic to see. All right, well, we'll uh, monitor our progress, see how it goes, and uh, report back. Yeah. Great. Thanks. So We're sitting here in Bratislava and we have the great fortune to be meeting with Vice President Maro Shevchevich of the European Commission who's back in town doing some work. Thank you very much for having me. Thank yeah, you It's our pleasure. It looks like a great show. No thank you. Well it's, you can't see it so easily but if you listen yeah that's the way to find out. So this yeah, interview so, I mean, was recorded a week ago. And now the new commission has been confirmed and have already started working on things like the European Green Deal among others. But most of what VP Sheftovich said isn't about the week-long window, but about the past five years, about the President Day, and about Europe and in, its future. Uh,
1: 2014 was energy security and all that negative experience the region had when uh, the gas was cut off in 2009. And uh, the second big priority was how.
0: Vice to... President Mário Štefčovič, the highest-ranking Slovak official in the European structure, The a recent Slovak presidential candidate tall man with a broad smile, who was frankly very generous with his time for this interview. He agreed to have coffee with me over an interview, so do watch out for those coffee-making sounds in the background. We sat down together on one of his recent visits to Bratislava. Talking about his past five-year term as vice president and commissioner for the Energy Union, Shescovich told me with great pride about all that was accomplished during his term, talking about the Energy Union, including a clean energy for all measure that was really significant and really still working to be implemented. Scheftewa's efforts have been called transformative for the energy landscape in Europe. He called them a great springboard for the new European Green Deal. So I start the interview easy. What was the greatest challenge of the energy union?
1: I think there have been a few of them. The first one, it was and still is. National reflexes are very strong. Uh, I think it's changing, and I think that the ministers of energy, regulators, operators, they trust each other much more. But I still think that we need to open much more our interconnectors and to really and make sure that also with that positive pressure from the side of the uh, European Commission we uh, would have really free flow of energies across the European member states because it would put down the prices, it would uh, make us more competitive and of course it will give us the better energy security. Second challenge uh, was and I'm sure it still would be how to accommodate uh, all the uh, expectations especially of young generation in tackling climate change more ambitiously and to do it in a way that uh, it would transform economy for the better that uh, we will see this modernization to seal an investment in the future and uh, that the people would not be afraid that because of all these steps we are doing we are just increase the energy price or do something which would uh, lower our competitiveness and that would require also further steps in our trade policy mm-hmm. I think we have to be much more assertive demand more reciprocity and also look for the way value- how we would push also other parts of the world that if you want to export uh, to Europe, you also have to produce the product uh, in a clean way, mm-hmm. in a sustainable way, and uh, to bring more fair equation into this, I would say, global
0: trade system. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you're anticipating all of my questions, so very <laughs> well done. Um, how is implementation going, you know, at the national level of Clean Energy for All? Because obviously it is such a large package. And-
1: I think we, for such a big piece of legislation like uh, Clean Energy for All and all the sets and host of measures we adopted, of course we needed uh, to change the governance system. So we introduced uh, the legislation on so-called national energy and climate plans, meaning that we ask each uh, government okay, how are we going to implement it? What is your ambition? How do you foresee your country in a European network, in that European puzzle? And uh, I'm very glad to say that despite of, I would say, a lot of uh, anxiety the member states would deliver, what would be the quality, so we got the draft plans from all of them. We are working with the member states to make sure that by the end of this year we'll have all approved national energy and climate plans and uh, I have to say that it looks quite well that we would hit uh, in most countries targets for 2020, also targets for 2030 and we have a couple of countries which are let's say below the expectations but we are talking to them and we are looking for the ways how to make sure that all of the member states and EU as such would deliver Mm -hmm. on all those expectations which have been collectively Mm -hmm. approved. It's Mm -hmm. not an easy job, but if somebody uh, five years ago would tell me that we would have a legislation on coordination on energy and climate policy, I would say that it's very, very ambitious and I still remember a lot of skepticism when we put it on the table. But now it's happening, mm-hmm. it's done, and uh, what I see from the plans as they've been presented, I think that the
0: member states took it very seriously. And um, can you comment about, like, say, this region versus other parts of Europe in terms of how it's going?
1: I, I think if it comes to this region, I would say the whole new member states exceeded expectations if it comes to the reduction of the CO2 emissions. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, partially it was because of the huge transformation of the uh, heavy industry, but mm-hmm. that was also a genuine effort. So if it comes to the reduction of the greenhouse gas emissions, so all the, I would say, record holders, the countries who reduce the most, the CO2 you would find in Central and um, Eastern Europe. Of course, what is uh, the the challenge and where I see that we still have some work to do is we have a couple of countries uh, who we believe could do a little bit more with renewables just to get to those targets which have been set for 2020 and uh, 2030. And they are both in Central, Eastern, but also in Western Europe. The major challenge vis a vis the 2030 is actually energy efficiency. There we see the gap of around uh, 6%, and I understand why because it's very difficult, you know, because you have to go after buildings, you Mm -hmm. have to go after renovations, heavy industry, you have to include transport. So it's 6% in energy efficiency. It's not easy, and uh, therefore we are also thinking how additionally we can help that effort also by channeling more European money from EIB
0: and from structural funds to help the member states to increase the energy efficiency. Mm-hmm. This is critically important if you're going to get 2050, you know, say climate neutrality. I mean, these are obviously critical measures to take. You know, we saw in the debate around the CO2, the, the vehicle CO2 emission standards that recently passed in the parliament, that you all recently passed yeah. as well, that there was definitely you know resistance coming from some member governments in order to make this happen. I mean, Slovakia obviously is very reliant on the automotive sector, but now it seems that that law is really having an effect, that the OEMs are really starting to produce more electric vehicle models numbers are going to be increasing, and uh, it seems to me at least that a lot of this is in response to the the CO2 emission standards that you all recently passed that are more stringent. How do you see it, and um, how do you see the effect that this might have on a country like Slovakia?
1: I think there have been several factors, of course. One was uh, the European laws. Second was a very strong public uh, reaction to the problem of air pollution, and very active mayors who are introducing different kind of low emissions, no emission zones, and that's really very, very strong public pressure, and at the same time I'm very glad that uh, our discussions with the European automotive industry led to the I a very clear conclusion that if you look uh, to, the, for example, Asian competitors, the final goal is not to export batteries, but to export electric buses, it's already happening, mm-hmm. but also electric cars. And if it will not be, let's say, up to the expectation, this might happen really, really very soon. So therefore, we are putting so much effort into the European Battery Alliance and building the charging infrastructure across the so, we would create all the necessary preconditions that electric vehicles would be more and more present on the European roads. Because only if we would go through this new technology, electric vehicles, hydrogen engines, but also these new e fuels, all of that we would need to deliver on that expectations that we would reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from car sector by 38.8%. Mm. It's Huge. very, it's ambitious, it's huge, but we also see that uh, people are more and more interested and uh, that car makers uh, are going to introduce, the uh, latest I've heard was around uh, 80 models of electric vehicles uh, between now and uh, and 2020 so the people would have more choice I believe there will be more competition, price will go down and of course uh, uh, the infrastructure will be better so people would overcome that range fear which very often was together with price the major such a blocking factor, yeah, yeah, why yeah. Do didn't go for electric vehicles
0: a year ago uh, another journalist asked me if there was a difference between ev deployment and ev infrastructure deployment in this region versus other parts of europe and you have a pan-European view. How do you see it? I think paradoxically, uh, Central and Eastern Europe was a pioneer
1: in building the electric charging infrastructure, and I was very glad when I saw on our, let's say, pan-European maps that uh, Slovakia actually was uh, one of the first countries where you can actually make the tour around the country in, in electric vehicles. I, of course, do not want to say that this is uh, still sufficient because more cars we would have, more charging stations we would need. and still have, have to plan be... your trip and, quite well, and, yeah. Yes, you have <laughs> to plan your trip well, and, of course, you need ultra-fast chargers because people would look for that uh, comfort uh, which would be comparable to the fueling the tank at the petrol station with charging your car so that would be i would say the demand of the day but i see that with the technologies every day the charging time is uh, is going down Uh, we will for sure invest a lot of money in uh, charging infrastructure for example every fourth uh, euro so 25 percent of uh, this one uh, really a uh, budget of the EU will have to be mainstream for the climate-related projects. Mm-hmm. So of course infrastructure, immobility is one of them and um, I believe that this uh, together with all that pressure from the financial institutions and their shareholders for green projects, this will help us to really accelerate the build-up of uh, necessary infrastructure.
0: Okay, so one quarter of the whole EU's budget is going to be earmarked towards climate-related projects. Absolutely. wow! And there will be even more
1: uh, of the money coming from the EIB, mm-hmm. there is, I think, very clear expectations of the new president of the commission yeah. mm-hmm. that the EIB would be transformed partially into the EU Climate Bank mm-hmm. and they are already now looking for the projects where they can use these big resources because we very often forgot that uh, European Investment Bank is the biggest public bank in the world, it's bigger than World Bank, bigger than IMF, and to use such a firepower for such a good project it's very encouraging.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and full disclosure, as you know, European Investment <laughs> Bank has funded a large project uh, for the company that I work for, Greenway, and that hosts this podcast. So, I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, so so know, I hit it right. Yeah, I hit you hit it right. Right. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. We also appreciate it and are using that money well to deploy charging infrastructure in this region. um So, what situation confronts the new commission now? I imagine the landscape is quite different than it was five years ago. And what is the work plan? We, of course, uh, will have to act
1: very, very quickly because we have to catch up that uh, I hope only one-month uh, delay what would be the the challenge uh, would be to find the most uh, suitable way how to match these huge ambitions we are going to present uh, under the green deal with adequate financial resources and future oriented policies uh, that the European economy can meet that big challenge and also how to enforce that European ambition uh, which would be uh, executed on the European continent also globally because uh, we also need need uh, much more collaboration from other big economies uh, and if that would be not coming to simply create the condition that our industry can strive it will be uh, not uh, pushed out of europe and therefore i think we also have a lot of discussions about uh, reciprocity in trade much more focus on uh, climate issues when we've been discussing the international uh, trade deals and that would be i think that the challenge uh, of the next commission so tesla just announced a new gigafactory outside of berlin just a few days ago is that uh part of the vision I'm very glad that we see so much activity on the battery uh, front uh, because uh, that just proves that uh, not only European car makers and operators uh, understood what we want Mm. to achieve in the EU and that uh, everybody is realizing that there is actually a huge market for batteries in Europe we expect that as of 2025 yearly market for batteries would represent 250 billion euros and uh, that we would need uh, around 400 gigawatt hours uh, of uh, battery production. So if you look at today's biggest uh, gigafactories in the world and uh, in Europe, the plans for them, Mm -hmm. so there are around 30, 50, the biggest I think is 70 gigawatt hours. So that's just show that what is the potential. So therefore I see that also big international operators wants to be in Europe, wants to produce the batteries and what is our task and I will work on that with utmost urgency is to make sure that uh, the European batteries, have standards we should make sure that they are greenest the most sustainable in the world because what's important for european consumers is not only to have electric car but to have a full sustainable story clean raw materials uh, renewable electricity vehicle to grid connection reuse recycling of the materials because they want to have the full story. Once they go for that car, they can really have a strong feeling that they do something good for the planet. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we are working very intensively
0: on the new standards and we want to make sure that uh, they will be obligatory across the whole EU. That would be fantastic, really. I mean, that supply chain issues I think are absolutely critical in in our industry right now. And I mean, really, they are a major major challenge. I've read recently that the uh, one element of the new commission's agenda, part of the Green Deal, would be a sort of recharge EU initiative to deploy 1 million charging stations throughout Europe in the next 5 to 10 years. Yeah, and I think what
1: we will do here and what I think we have to do even better is that uh, we've been very much, uh, I would say, relying on how the member states want to do it, I would say, on the national efforts. And we see that, again, here, we just simply need much more of a collaboration, cooperation, and also to have such, I would say, European drive uh, for that. So I think uh, that number, that 1 million uh, of the charging stations is still to the, I would say, lower... Yeah, but there's uh, also uh,
0: And this is just publicly financed chargers.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure that the private sector would be much more involved. And uh, we just also need to create not only regulatory, but also financial frames that activity to pick up. So Mm -hmm. I'm sure that uh, 1 million would be the number which we would exceed uh, very, very quickly. And uh, it's not only in the interest of public authorities, but now also car makers. So as Tesla is building their own charging stations, I know that other car makers Mm -hmm, uh, want to make sure that also their cars will be properly charged. Because it could be a competitive advantage, and we just would have to make sure that we create the conditions which are fair and which would really allow to uh, build up uh, the necessary network as quickly as possible. And can you give us any other insights into the upcoming budget? Of course, it would be a very difficult discussion. We have to cope with uh, Brexit, and uh, we still don't know on what terms mm-hmm. uh, that would happen, uh, if the Brits would participate in the budget or not. That makes, of course, the budgetary discussion very difficult. Uh, we are pushing uh, for the budget, which I don't think it's such an outrageous expectation when we say that we would like to have for the whole EU 1.11 percentage point of the European GDP. For example, if it comes uh, uh, to the research and innovation budget, our proposal is to have the biggest uh, publicly funded uh, research program in the world, 100 billion euros. And there, the criteria are even more stringent. 35% of it, so 35 billion should go again for climate-related projects. So, mm. so we will see this mainstreaming, uh, which go across the overall budget, even more focused in research and innovation program Horizon Europe, mm-hmm. and even
0: steeper level if it comes to the financing from the EIB. So again, I work for a company that has received funding from some of these programs before and it's been very valuable for us. It sounds like you see it as very important to continue using the public money in order to help incubate smaller companies so that they can become successful because it's quite expensive to operate in this energy sector or in the infrastructure space. Absolutely. And I think here we just simply have to learn from United States, but also from
1: Israel and from uh, other countries, really know how to use incubator accelerators. I just had uh, the session with them two days ago with this European uh, knowledge uh, and information uh, and innovation centers. Uh-huh these KICs KICs, Mm -hmm. which would uh, need uh, to make sure that as we've been able to help the company Norwald Mm -hmm. as a startup uh, that it would become not some kind of exception which you would celebrate but the norm how to help the good companies and I'm just joking recently that when uh, the CEO of Norwald came the first time into my office uh, he had the powerpoint two years later he has the bookings uh, for the production of batteries of 10 billion euros by 2030 so from powerpoint to 10 billion i think it's it's a pretty pretty steep
0: curve good scale (laughs) good scaling and and i hope that would be the story which we can repeat more often in europe would be absolutely amazing and a huge success for sure you know we're sitting in bratislava you are slovak commissioner vice president of the european commission Slovakia is very involved in the automotive supply chain how do you see uh you know the future for slovakia in this new world of mass electric vehicles i'm very glad that um, now I see that also my compatriots uh,
1: jumped on that uh, train of uh, electromobility. I see that these big car makers uh, uh, who are here, that uh, most of them are ready to produce electric vehicles uh, here as well. And I'm also glad that we have uh, that uh, company, Innovat, which is also talking to all my colleagues in EIB, in the European Commission, and are very active in the European Battery Alliance, to make sure that we also have a, a gigafactory here. I think that uh, it's very important for slow- because uh, automotive industry is really key uh, for this country. It's not only cars, all the appliances, all the spare parts, business and everything which comes with it. And we simply have to be really on the technological edge if it comes... uh, the automotive Indrax. As you probably know, all the most complicated cars on the planet, all these big SUVs, uh, most of them are produced here in Bratislava. So I'm sure that our people know how to make the cars which are actually simpler. Mm. The electrical ones, uh, where I would like to see more emphasis uh, in the future would be uh, to have not only the manufacturing and production here, but much more of an R&D.
0: You talked about the citizens' knowledge, and i was just curious, you know, you travel all over Europe, I know you meet with a lot of young people, you do a lot of online engagement, and do you find that people are aware and engaged in these topics? I think if it comes to young generation and and millennials, I
1: think they are the most ever generation if it comes to the climate change. And I have uh, three children from 30 to 20, I meet a lot of their friends, and very often even I would say the conversation topic over the beer is about, uh, about the environment, and it's completely different than it was in my age. I see that uh, there is a lot of uh, interest in car-sharing schemes, uh, in um, all these, I would say, new platform economy, and uh, the recycling and uh, reuse and um, all that. I think it's uh, very often, I would say, the part of the lifestyle of the young generation. So I think they're much more aware than we are. And uh, to kind of drive it home, I think we clearly have to use that wave of interest and support and bring the necessary business solutions and technologies uh, which would make the expectations and readiness to embrace these new lifestyles with a proper solution. And I think that what we need is like a cool European electric vehicle uh, which will be so much uh, attractive uh, for the people in uh, Europe uh, that it would make the same buzz as uh, mm, Tesla did in US and I would say yeah, like worldwide. Space, yeah. And, <laughs> <laughs> or, and uh, promote a little bit uh, the people uh, like Andre Rimat uh, uh-huh. from Croatia yes, yes, yes. Yes. who I think is such a European, uh, Elon Musk, yeah, and to glad. promote the companies like Norwald and yeah. Greenway and others, where the young people are actually doing the advanced uh, frontier yeah, type yeah, of yeah. The, uh, technologies and to give them proper credit and build up the European
0: story. That was Maro Šeftrovic, vice president under the former European Commission and under the newly installed European Commission. And now he and his colleagues have already started working to deliver what they're talking about. It's up to them, but it's also up to us. I don't think they would be prioritizing a Green Deal quite as highly if it weren't for how loudly regular people, people out on the streets, have been telling them how important our planet is to us. From Fridays for the Future to buying electric vehicles and more energy-efficient materials, planting trees and voting according to our values, voters across Europe and the world are sending a clear message to people running for office. And politicians do so like to please voters. This was part two of our mini-series of what's next for clean energy in Europe. If you haven't heard the first part, do go back in your archives and listen to my interview with EU politics and policy expert, the unmatched Julia Polisconova of transport and environment. She's great insights if this is your field, or even if it isn't. And as I said last episode, we've been so busy at Greenway, and I really hope to bring you some of the inside details of what's been going on in some future episodes but the end of the year is fast approaching and so is our one year anniversary. I can't believe it, Electric Avenue is only slightly older than my son and we have been doing something a little special for that before going back to our quote, regular programming. Anyway, we're having a lot of fun producing this podcast, pushing these ideas and topics out there and I really hope you're finding it valuable and worth your time. So let us know, send us an email or rate us or share us on either Facebook or on Stitcher, iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, you name it. We're on all the available podcast platforms. I really want to thank our production team of Katarina Urban-Richterova and Oksana Ferantsova and our marketing colleague, Julia Birchakova. Because of the success of this podcast, we've also helped launch a brand new podcast with the Slovak Electric Vehicle Association, this one in Slovak language, talking about the joys of electric mobility and demystifying some of that for the Slovak-speaking community. This is Aaron Fishbone wishing you many happy and safe electric kilometers. Peter, you and I work on the infrastructure side of the business. So today, an exclusive. Anyway.